0: I'm Stuart Vonney. I'm Harris Faulkner. I'm Brian Kilmeade, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Monday, September 12, 2022, I'm Mike Emanuel. Republicans are promising oversight if the GOP wins back the majority in November's midterms. One interesting race to watch New Jersey's 7th congressional district, represented by a Democrat Congressman Tom Malinowski who the Republican in that race says is part of the problem in Washington.
1: We need to send leaders down to Washington who have history, as I have in the New Jersey legislature, in, in blocking irresponsible spending. Tom will announce he believes only in more government spending, and that's unsustainable.
2: I'm Dana Perino. During her life, Mother Teresa was thought of as a living saint by many, but she was also human. The late Catholic nun's former lawyer and friend is now sharing a firsthand account of her last years.
3: It was the beauty of her humanity that, was, that really was the woman behind the saint. And she said a life that's not lived for others is not worth living. And that's a, a great lesson for all of us, isn't it?
4: And I'm David Limbaugh. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown.
0: About eight weeks from midterm election day, which will decide the balance of power for the next two years on Capitol Hill. Among the top issues this year, inflation and gasoline prices at the White House. Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre is blaming Russian leader Vladimir Putin for costing consumers more when they fuel up.
1: You've heard us say this, that what what we see Russia's doing, and we've been very clear about this, is that they're using energy, they're weaponizing energy.
0: But Republicans argue it's also the Biden administration's energy policy by trying to go green too soon. Stephen Moore was an economic advisor to President Trump.
1: We're looking at big increases in utilities uh, this uh, fall and winter uh, with maybe 50 percent increases because we have a shortage of energy because we're not producing the coal and the natural gas that we need.
0: Part of the campaign push is telling the American people what you would do if elected or if your party controls Congress. House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy, who could potentially be the next speaker, laid out his vision on Sunday Morning Futures.
1: We would build an economy that is strong. We would stop inflation, make America energy independent and lower your gas price. We will build an economy that changes the supply chain from China and bring it back to America. For
0: McCarthy to become Speaker and Republicans to control the House, the GOP needs to win in swing districts like New Jersey 7. It's a swing district in the blue state of New Jersey, currently represented by Democrat Congressman Tom Malinowski. I asked Malinowski about Democrats' spending policies
1: on Fox News Live. I know you guys are putting out, oh, you know, it's a huge tax and spending spree. But when you talk about the details, they are extremely supported by uh, middle-of-the-road voters uh, that that I represent. we got to get this done.
0: His Republican opponent argues Malinowski is part of the problem and it is time for change.
1: I talked to a carpenter from Rahway who estimates his um, monthly expenses in household are increasing by about $800 a month. And that's a thing that people across this district and people across this country are still feeling from the highest rate of inflation in 40 years.
0: Tom Kane Jr. is running to represent New Jersey's 7th congressional district.
1: We have to do whatever we can to lower the uh, cost you know, spending out of Washington, D.C. I Tom, my opponent, I voted for every single spending bill uh, because Nancy Pelosi asked him to, even though economists, Republican and Democrat alike, said that's a long way to go. He voted for golf courses and ski resorts and, and um, all this irresponsible spending that's causing the high rate of inflation, high cost of, of energy. And uh, we have to send people down to Washington, D.C. Who have a long history of uh, controlling spending and blocking irresponsible spending, creating new jobs and economic opportunities, and uh, you know making sure we have have whether it's chips or pharmaceuticals that we have more manufacturing here at home, and that's what I've done in, in the legislature, and that's what I will do down in Washington D.C.
0: Gas prices are now coming down after 5 and 6 bucks a gallon became the norm this summer. However, some experts are expressing concerns that the newly introduced Inflation Reduction Act could lead to rising gasoline prices yet again due to its new tax policies on oil petroleum companies and coal production. Your thoughts on this and the American energy crisis in general?
1: Well, people across this district, uh, remember t- two, three years ago when we were functionally energy independent and, and gas prices were basically 60% of what they are today. And that's what we need to do again. We need to have an all the above energy strategy, whether it's nuclear, coal, uh, oil, natural gas, uh, wind, uh, you know, solar. Uh, and so we need to have that type of focus. But the. Uh, bills that Tom Wolnowski has has voted for are going to increase energy costs for middle income uh, Americans people across the seventh congressional district and because he again was was the first person from New Jersey to say that he was going to vote for the Inflation Reduction Act even though he had promised people in this district that he would have uh, not voted for any reconciliation bill that didn't include the salt deduction so in addition to massive new government spending and many more In addition to many more doubling the size of the irs and many other permanent government positions he's he's voting for every single spending bill he just doesn't understand that the affordability crisis and the fact he he also doesn't understand that the more uh, control we have over our own energy future the more nimble we can be at home and abroad in our uh, domestic and foreign policies
0: consumer sentiment has been rising after hitting rock bottom in june but the fed still has a long way to go before stabilizing the economy Many economists worry we could be in the temporary calm before an economic storm. What are your thoughts on the future of our economy and that our word, recession, has been out there? What do you think?
1: Well, we need to send leaders down to Washington who have history, as I have in the New Jersey legislature, and you know, blocking irresponsible spending, uh, creating new economic uh, you know futures for people, generational uh, businesses. Uh, we've got to make sure people have innovation and Tom will he believes only in more government spending, and that's unsustainable. His votes are directly responsible for $800 a month that I talked about a little bit earlier in this, this interview of uh, home household costs. He uh, hasn't done anything to shorten supply chain issues. Uh, there are things we need, can and should do as, as a future members of Congress that will focus on Uh, making sure we lower the overall cost of spending out of Washington D.C. by not voting for things like golf courses and the ski resorts and luxury hotels that Tom Mollinowski voted for, but also uh, make have more energy independence, focus on securing the southern border, uh, making we have more innovation and we actually break the back of inflation.
0: One reason I find your race particularly fascinating, of course, in New Jersey 7th is I grew up there. I grew up in a charming town called Westfield, New Jersey. And my parents, like many, many people in that area, took the commuter train into New York City to make a living. Uh, Good, rock solid, honest, hardworking folks. And, you know, forgive me for being biased, but it's home. Um, So I'm curious what you're hearing as you make the rounds around the 7th District. It's a critical race in terms of the balance of power, whether Kevin McCarthy may be the next speaker or whether Nancy Pelosi continues to hold the gavel.
1: Well, as you know, Westfield is my hometown as well. That's why we've raised our our daughters. And as I'm talking to people, they're concerned about the inflation rate. They're concerned about energy independence. They're concerned about an unsecure southern border. They're concerned about rising crime rate, human trafficking, fentanyl. I mean, these are all things that are impacting people as well as you talked about having a real infrastructure. And that's why we need to ensure things like the Gateway Project and, and other uh real projects are completed over time so we have a you know second to none infrastructure in this in this country and in this region uh but we need to that's what people are talking about they're concerned about the 800 a month higher energy costs they're concerned about empty store shelves still the supply chain issues i mean these are things that we need leaders down in washington dc who have a, a long history whether they're in the majority in the minority in a split chamber i've always found the way to say this is how we create new jobs this is how we stop um irresponsible spent we've got a new opportunity to to have a leadership role in, in from a, the seventh congressional district because Tom Wolnowski is by following the lead of Nancy Pelosi on every vote is has failed the people in New Jersey because he hasn't actually listened to them my experience as a legislator I was in the you know in the state Senate for 20 years was always to listen and then lead and Tom Wolnowski, by following the lead of Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden never stepped away um has not been focused on listening the voters he's supposed to represent.
0: The 7th District is a uh, swing district in what is a pretty true blue state, uh, the great state of New Jersey. Um, why do you think you can swing it back this time?
1: Well, as I go around and talk to people, um, whether it's at the grassroots level or uh, at, at larger events and talking to people across the state, it's because they all have the same concerns. It's, it's the fact that Tom Walnowski is out of step with the needs and the concerns. The people of this district, he's voted for every single spending bill. He ignored the advice of economists on a bipartisan basis who said if you voted for things like golf courses and and luxury hotel spending, that that would lead to this very, this inflation. Even the New York Times said in retrospect, some of that spending was irresponsible and, and didn't make a lot of sense. And people know that. His voting record shows that history. And they also know that my leadership, I came with a point of victory last cycle. They also know that my leadership in the state legislature about finding the right solutions, finding the common ground, and actually you know, making people's lives more affordable, for preserving the character of our communities, and, and creating new jobs and generational opportunities for people. It's the type of leadership people need right now down in Washington, D.C. on behalf of people of the 7th District.
0: You have a famous name. Your dad was a beloved governor of the great state of New Jersey when I was growing up. I have very fond memories of Governor Kane. Uh, but you've put in the work. You've definitely worked in the state legislature for a long time. Tell some folks around the country who may not be that familiar with you personally um, about your history of serving uh, the Garden State at the state legislature level.
1: Well, well th- thank you. I was uh, I first uh, got into the state assembly on uh, in April of 2001. And uh, then we went to the Assembly, see me the state Senate uh, shortly thereafter, I was a Senate Republican leader for 14 years. Uh, and I've always focused on, you know met my wife at the when we were both working at the Environmental Protection Agency. Uh, so we've always focused on ways to preserve open space and create uh, protect the environment. Uh, I've, I've led the way to make sure we had one seat ride on the Burton island line, but found the real solutions to make sure New Jersey, wasn't paying for it's more than its fair share on the gateway project we've made sure we have the bus terminal is actually going to be uh, completed in New York Um, those are things that and I've made sure that whether it's Bell Labs or brew pubs or innovation across this this district that I've always uh, found the way to find the right solutions uh at a time when we made sure we uh lowered the overall cost of spending uh and that's the type of thing that Focused on down in the legislature, and when I get down to Washington, D.C., with the help of the voters, we're going to be focused on ways to, to stop the irresponsible spending that's co- massively causing this rise of inflation. We're going to make us ourselves energy independent again. I've been to the southern border, so I've seen firsthand what the real solutions can be to make sure we have a secure border and a secure country. Um, those are some of the things that are important to the people of this district.
0: Tom Kane Jr., a pleasure speaking with you today. Best of luck out on the campaign trail, and we'll be following it.
1: Thank you so much. You stay safe.
4: This is David Limbaugh with your Fox News commentary coming up.
2: Decades after her passing, Mother Teresa remains synonymous with compassion and kindness. The late Catholic nun and Nobel Peace Prize winner, who was canonized in 2016 by Pope Francis, dedicated her life to the world's poor, sick, and lonely, including patients suffering from AIDS at a time when the virus carried more of a stigma than it does today. Her work gained her international notoriety and has inspired countless people. One of the many people she greatly influenced was Jim Tui, As Mother Teresa's trusted lawyer, yes, Even the great St. Teresa of Calcutta needed a lawyer. Jim Toohey traveled the world, became friends with her, and got to witness her in action during her final years. Since that time, Tuey has devoted much of his life to charity and once served as the director of the White House Office of Faith-Based and Community Initiatives under President George W. Bush. In his new book, To Love and Be Loved, A Personal Portrait of Mother Teresa, Jim Tui shares what it was like to work alongside someone who was thought of as a living saint and how witnessing the human side of her changed him forever.
3: I had gone over to Southeast Asia. I was working for Senator Mark Hatfield at the time. And uh, I had the opportunity to swing through India to meet her because Senator Hatfield knew her. And I wanted to meet her. I was lost and just thought that it would be good for me to meet her. And it also I thought it'd be cool.
2: To Love and Be Loved is now available, and all royalties will go entirely to Mother Teresa's Missionary of Charities and other faith-based organizations.
3: I carved out on the way home one day in Calcutta, and I talked myself into doing it by saying I'll get five days in Hawaii on the way home. So (laughs) uh, that's what I did, and I met her in 1985, and it changed the course of my life.
2: So what was your life like before you met her?
3: I was working uh, for Senator Hatfield and was making more money than I'd ever had and had a position of influence. He was chairman of the Senate Appropriations Committee. So by all appearances, I was doing great. I was mentoring inner city kids uh, one night a week. That made me feel good about myself, but basically very self-centered, empty life. I'd lost a very close friend to suicide. My faith was somewhat lifeless. And so uh, when I met Mother Teresa, I was more lost than I realized. And I just met this woman who was so focused and so uh, energetic and joyful. And I met her the week she turned 75. So it was really kind of amazing.
2: How did your relationship develop then?
3: Well, she came back to the U.S. a couple months later, and I went up to New York to just to see her again, because it was always a, lovely to be around her. And fortunately, she needed a lawyer. She was sending over a lot of Indian sisters who needed visa help to get in the U.S. She was opening a lot of homes in America and needed uh, the legal assistance and also someone to run interference with government. Senator Hatfield was very helpful on that. And so I was in the right place at the right time. And I was single, and so I was very available. And uh, the sisters were great, and I loved being around them. And so uh, when she opened AIDS homes in particular, there were a lot of – voices in opposition to the opening of these AIDS homes in the mid 80s. People didn't know for sure how you got the disease or how easily transmitted it was. And so there was a lot of fear. And uh, Mother Teresa saw a number of you know mayors in New York and in Washington that were not so excited about having AIDS homes opened up in neighborhoods. And so I did a lot of work on that. And uh, and then I ended up, of course, volunteering in the home, as I recount in the book.
2: So even Mother Teresa needs a lawyer?
3: Do <laughs> you remember President Bush's joke?
1: See, I set up a faith-based office in the White House. You're about to hear uh, from Jim Toohey, who's the runs the faith-based office. He's an incredible guy. By the way, Tuey was Mother Teresa's lawyer. <laughs> now, that's a pretty litigious society when Mother Teresa needs a lawyer, isn't it?
3: <laughs> he said that was his argument for tort reform, you know. She did. People tried Mm -hmm. to use her name to make money. People tried to use it to misrepresent. So the book recounts a number of of these stories. A lot of times it it was priests and bishops, so it wasn't just outsiders trying to make a buck.
2: Was she tough in regards to handling those kinds of controversies?
3: Yes and no. She was very tender, and but if she dug her heels in on an issue, you couldn't move her. I mean, very stubborn. And uh, and somewhat impatient on some of these issues. One woman I recount in the book uh, left a fortune to her mother, Teresa, and the executor of it was trying to pilfer it. And uh, it was the only time where she wanted me to to threaten legal action, you know, to actually go to court. So she wasn't keen on going to court. But if someone left her money for the poor, she'd fight for it. You know, but she didn't fundraise. She prohibited it. So she depended on divine providence. So uh, I just think that she was, uh, I remember one time Governor Childs calling her a street fighter, which I didn't understand at the time, but the more I thought about her life and what she put up with in Calcutta in the early fifties and sixties, uh, she was tough and she had to be. So the book shows that grit I think, and determination
2: she had. One of the things you say is that um, she became a saint, not in spite of her humanity, but because of it. And As a lot of us deal with all the problems, the pressing problems that we feel that we have in our country right now, what sort of lessons do you think we should be reminded of as we try to live our lives to the fullest and best of our abilities?
3: I think Mother Teresa taught us how much we need each other and how important it is to have connections with other people, that people are so much more important than things, that the poor had something to teach us, that they often could unleash in us compassion and kindness that we didn't know we had. So I think she she clearly would be urging people to combat the disease of loneliness that is so prevalent. COVID really brought this out when we saw our elderly isolated. Mother Teresa really thought loneliness was the worst disease, worse than leprosy, worse than AIDS, because the feelings that people had that they weren't loved, that they weren't welcome. And so I think that she would be stressing that in this technologically crazy world where you see these advances coming at us so hard with artificial intelligence, I think she'd be urging us to slow down because human beings and our humanity are at stake. And some of the effects of these technological changes are dehumanizing. They're talking about robots and nursing homes and and in telemedicine that often separates a person from the touch of a doctor. So I just think that uh, yeah, that would be a lesson that she'd be uh, focusing on because that's how she spent her life, touching people, loving them. And as she aged, uh, she welcomed the love of others.
2: May I ask what you think she might have suggested for a public policy, even if she would have weighed in? I don't know. i am I'm, I'm s- been really thinking about the homelessness problem all across America, not just here in New York City. Of course, it's uh, in Washington, D.C., Los Angeles, Chicago, Seattle, Portland, and now cities like Denver, for example. And it seems like it's a problem that government can not get a handle on. So maybe government is not the only answer. Would she have had any advice for how we should deal with this?
3: Well, I I do think that she would support what President Bush had been talking about, which is, you know, arming the armies of compassion and helping faith-based organizations engage with people and give them options so that they could feel love and welcome and be known by name and not just be a caseload number. You know, I, I, when I ran Florida's Health and Human Services, you know, we had 40,000 employees and we were giving out food stamps. We had foster care programs and the the workers did fine work, but the food stamp worker would get fired if they expressed compassion, if they gave away a larger allotment that was than was merited. So, yeah, I think that she she's not a big government fan. Uh, she was a fan of people caring and taking responsibility for their neighbor. I mean, it really was the gospel message that she wanted to see live. And so I think, I think she would have urged uh, a more radical approach that had neighbors helping neighbors and to do things one at a time, one person at a time.
2: We also have a situation in our country where there are some who think that we're so polarized, that we've never been this polarized before, that the country is near a civil war breaking point. I have a different point of view. Um, I actually think that is a lot more on social media and Twitter than in the real world, but there are divisions and polarizations. And can her life, the way she led her life, help us think through a way to be the best nation in the world?
3: Well, your book, Everything's Gonna Be Okay. You know, (laughs) the the reality is, Mother had that attitude that she trusted that in the providence of God, God loved us so much more than our divisions might seem to indicate that there wasn't love in the world. Uh, when you look at her life, and I, I touch on it in the early chapters, there she was in Calcutta at a time of such strife and displacement as Pakistan, East Pakistan was created. There were civil wars and then religious strife between Muslims and Hindus and she lived in the midst of that and saw the power of love and the power of relationship. And I think that if Americans rediscover this, and we see this after hurricanes, you and I saw it after September 11th, when when you see the the neighbor helping neighbor and loving one another and seeing that that was more important than our differences, I think she'd be she'd be of course echoing that lesson that she had herself had seen in India. And so, yeah, we. We often let the the loudest voices dominate the debate, but you see good acts of mercy and kindness all over the country. So I just think there's a lot of goodness, unfortunately, uh, that often is not covered very well, but it's there and it's very real.
2: You've written a, a beautiful book, To Love and Be Loved. It's a personal portrait of Mother Teresa. What a privilege that you had to, a lot of people got to meet her. Very few people were able to see her again and again and to develop this relationship with her. And God was, I believe, a part of this match so that you could be a part of her life and continue to tell the story. I'll just turn it over to you for a final thought about her life and how it affected you.
3: Well, she just showed me the beauty of, of her humanity, this great God-given dignity uh, that she had. She saw herself as a pencil in the hand of God she aged with dignity. She she urged me to start a not-for-profit aging with dignity. And she taught me a lot about how important uh, this right to age with dignity is and how we need to safeguard it and affirm it. Um, I just, when I think back at her, I think of her smile, I think of her sense of perspective. She never got overwhelmed ever with worry. She prayed. Uh, she loved, she loved chocolate, she loved people. She was just, it was the beauty of her humanity that was, that really was the woman behind the saint. And she said, a life that's not lived for others is not worth living. And that's a a great lesson for all of us, isn't it? I just hope that the world recognizes that she still has important lessons to teach us. And I hope the book helps them on that.
2: Dark chocolate or milk chocolate? (laughs)
3: all chocolate. Okay. (laughs) It wasn't just that, you know, cookies, brownies, you know, she was, uh, she had a sweet tooth and it was cute how the sisters would try to indulge it.
2: I love it. I love the book and I really love you. Thank you for being a part of the Fox News rundown.
3: You're the best, Dana. Thanks.
5: Here's a look at the week ahead. Monday. President Biden is scheduled to fly to Boston to promote his Cancer Moonshot Initiative, outlining what his administration is doing to end cancer as we know it. Tuesday. Voters head to the polls for primary elections in Delaware, New Hampshire, and Rhode Island. Wednesday. Social Security recipients will begin receiving a cost-of-living adjustment in their checks. The 5.9% increase in benefits is the largest in nearly 40 years.
4: Thursday,
5: President Biden will host a White House summit designed to counter hate-fueled violence. The United We Stand summit will include lawmakers, religious leaders, and civil rights groups.
3: Saturday.
5: Former President Trump hosts a rally for Republican Senate candidate J.D. Vance in Youngstown, Ohio. Vance faces Democrat Congressman Tim Ryan in the November election. Also on Saturday, the 187th Oktoberfest celebration begins in Munich, Germany. With all COVID restrictions lifted, millions are expected to attend. And that's a look at your week ahead. I'm Rich Dennison Fox News. the fox news podcasts network stay on top of the latest news and information from fox news listen and download the fox news hourly update on your time the trending stories you need anytime you want it listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com rate and review the fox news rundown on apple podcasts or wherever you listen it's time for your fox news commentary
3: david limbaugh
4: what's on your mind i'm excited to announce the release of my fifth christian themed book The Resurrected Jesus, The Church in the New Testament, though this one is different from the previous books in the series in several important respects. The main one is that I co-wrote this one with my daughter, Kristen Limbaugh Bloom. In this book, The Resurrected Jesus, Kristen and I examine Paul's final seven epistles, known as the Prison Epistles, which he wrote during his imprisonments in Rome, and the Pastoral Epistles, which he wrote to his understudy evangelists, Timothy and Titus. Admittedly, I am not a trained theologian, but after becoming a believer, I immersed myself in Bible study and theology. Perhaps because I had starved myself so long of the Word of God, I was immensely enthusiastic to make up for lost time and rapidly soaked up everything I could. It seemed to me that although I was no expert, lay readers might be more receptive to a lay Bible student's writings. I also believed that I could introduce to readers the thoughts of scholars, teachers, and writers whose teachings greatly benefited me. Contrary to the beliefs of too many, the Bible is not inaccessible to lay readers. It is not a book of abstract theological and moral principles. It is the living Word of God written over a period of 1,500 years by some 40 authors from all backgrounds and different locations who are every bit as real and flawed as you and I. You've surely heard plenty from the cynics and critics who dismissively contend the Bible is an antiquated book full of myths, superstitions, violence, and bad ideas. Well, if you believe that, I'm asking you to keep an open mind to the possibility that you are wrong. Give it a chance. Begin to read it for yourself, and if you are so inclined, let us help you get started doing so in the pages of this book. This book, The Resurrected Jesus, takes you through Paul's final seven letters to churches and his trusted colleagues. As we take you through these books, you will see that they tell of the real struggles of Paul, the special apostle of Jesus Christ, as he traveled throughout the Holy Land and beyond to plant churches and share the good news of Jesus Christ. It tells of the adversities and hardships he endured from Roman authorities and other opponents of the gospel, who were hell-bent on preventing him from succeeding in his mission. While Paul may not have realized it at the time, his instruction to the churches. Through these letters would become part of the new testament scripture and would clarify the gospel of jesus christ and its implications and provide guidance for christian pastors teachers churches and congregants throughout human history we humbly acknowledge that any benefit readers may receive from these writings are wholly due to the work of the holy spirit we couldn't be more excited about this book and would be honored for you to read it i'm david limbaugh
5: Listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Did you hear the news? Now you can. With instant updates from Fox News for Amazon Alexa. Just say.
3: Alexa. Play news from Fox. In Fox News.
5: It's the latest when you need it. On demand from Fox News and Amazon Alexa.